Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. I am so glad to be here with you today here in Bermuda, and it's great to have my wife and daughter with me as well. And we're just so thankful and appreciative of the invitation to be here. Thank you for the warm introduction and welcome. And I truly believe that God has something very special in store for us this week. As we meditate upon our theme, a living sacrifice, we are going to go through the Bible and see in various different ways how Bible characters have been living sacrifices and how we today need to be living sacrifices. It's been great to be here. We, as soon as we got off the plane, it reminded us of living on the island of Trinidad that we, we lived there until March of this year. And I will say that Bermuda is quite beautiful. Amen. And um, I didn't know what it would be like compared to Trinidad, but I'll have to say I'm very impressed. <laughs> and we've enjoyed our time already. Before we get into the message for this morning, why don't we just bow our heads and have a word of prayer and we'll get into the message. Father in heaven, I just earnestly pray that you would be with us this morning and throughout this week. Please speak through me. May the messenger be lost sight of, but may the message point to Jesus. And may he be lifted up. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Our theme this week is a living sacrifice. And I, I like the banner up here on the front, which has our theme verse from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which should be a very familiar verse to us as Seventh-day Adventists. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And here we read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here the Apostle Paul is pleading to the Christian church at Rome. He's beseeching them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And that message has resounded down through time to the Christian church and to God's church living at the end of time today. God is imploring us. He is pleading with us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And not only that, to be holy. And not only that, but to be acceptable unto God. And Paul says, listen... This is your reasonable service. This isn't something hard that God is asking. This is a reasonable request. Jesus came down and died on the cross. He risked all of heaven, and he's simply asking us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And in verse 2, we see the challenge that comes to God's people when it comes to being a living sacrifice because you realize that the devil is going to try to put roadblocks in the way to prevent us from being a living sacrifice. And what does the devil do? Notice verse 2. And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The roadblock in the way to being a living sacrifice is conformity to the world. We present ourselves as God's professed children. We claim the name of God. 
We profess to be preparing for Jesus to come in the clouds of heaven. Yet Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is pleading with God's church to not conform to the world. Because it is such an easy tendency, an easy trap to fall into. We become conformed to this world. And that conformity to this world prevents us from being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it prevents us from being living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. You cannot be renewed in your mind, transformed by the grace of God, if you are also living in conformity to this world. And you know, I like the concept of being renewed in the mind because I see a lot of people who have problems that start from the mind. And you know, as a neurologist, I treat mainly diseases that are caused by physical, medical issues like stroke, diabetes will cause a stroke, or high blood pressure, or maybe people have headaches. But I also see a lot of people who end up having psychiatric disorders like anxiety disorder, depression, things like that, and they have physical symptoms that go along with their anxiety disorder, their depression, and they'll come to my office and they'll have like numbness in their face, arms, and feet, and I do a simple test. It's called a hyperventilation test. And you have the person hyperventilate, and they breathe in and out really fast for up to three minutes, and if you can reproduce their physical symptoms, you show by that test that their physical symptoms are actually coming from the mind. And so, as a physician, I like the concept that we can present hope to the world, that you can be renewed in the mind, that the grace of God offers something better than letting the cares of this life weigh us down so that we become weighed down with stress, anxiety, depression, and we have trouble getting up from one day to the next because we're worried about what's going to happen today. And let me tell you something, if you watch the news and the world around us, if you are living for this world, if you are conforming yourself to this world, you're going to get stressed out one of these days. And it's going to become very difficult for you to be transformed in in your mind, to be renewed in the mind, because you've conformed your life to this world. You may have a profession of godliness, but the things that you are most concerned about are not the soon coming of Jesus and the preparing of others to be ready to meet him. It's about your job, your school, how your kids are going to do, how well they're going to marry, how well they're going to be educated. And those things take precedence in your mind, and before you know it, you're conforming to the world. Let me read a statement to you from... Prophets and Kings, page 178. There's a reason why we as God's people sometimes go down the wrong path conforming to the world. This is Prophets and Kings 178. The the prevailing spirit of our time is one of infidelity and apostasy, a spirit of avowed illumination because a knowledge of truth, but in reality of the blindest presumption. Human theories are exalted and placed where God and his law should be. Satan tempts men and women to disobey with the promise that in disobedience they will find liberty and freedom that will make them as gods. And you realize that's what Satan did to to Eve in the Garden of Eden. There is seen a spirit of opposition to the plain word of God, of idolatrous exaltation of human wisdom above divine revelation. Now, you know, when we read the Old Testament stories, and some of you may be reading through the Revived by His Word reading plan from the General Conference, which my family is doing, one chapter a day from the Bible, and you read these stories in the Old Testament of the children of Israel, and they started worshiping Baal and Moloch and offering their kids to idols, burning them as sacrifices, and you're saying... How could people be so foolish? And yet the idolatry that exists in the world today is placing human wisdom above the word of God. 
Notice this. Men have allowed their minds to become so darkened and confused by conformity to worldly customs and influences that they seem to have lost all power to discriminate between light and darkness, truth and error. So if you wonder why you can show someone from the Word of God, this is what the Bible says, their response will be, yeah, but I think. You know what? We need to, as God's people, get away from this mentality of saying, well, I think. We need to be known as the people who say, the Bible says. And if the Bible says it, that's what it is. It's not what we think. And if we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we are going to go by a plain, thus saith the Lord. We are not going to conform to the thinking patterns of this world that exalt human wisdom above the plain word of God. And then this quote finishes by saying, A faith such as actuated Paul, Peter, and John, they regard as old-fashioned, mystical, and unworthy of the intelligence of modern thinkers. And I say to that, let's have some more Paul, Paul's, Peter's, and John's to bring back a revival into the Christian world today. And you know, when we look at this message that Paul is giving to the church at Rome, he's pleading with them to, make, to be living sacrifices, to present their bodies holy, acceptable to God as a reasonable service, to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Then in chapter 13, the very next chapter over, he continues the exhortation in verse 11. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 11. And here we read, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Do you think it's time to wake up? When is it time to wake up? Next year? We'll see how Obama does in the United States over his next term and see if things start to kind of head towards a Sunday law and maybe we'll start to get ready after we see what Obama does in his second term. Is that what the Bible's saying? No. The Bible says now it is time. Paul not only says time, he says it is high time to wake up out of sleep. He says, and notice he says, knowing the time, and that knowing the time. Who is he speaking to? He is speaking to God's people who know prophetically what time of earth's history we are living in. Listen, you know what time it is. And because you know what time it is, don't you think you should be awake and not sleeping? Why are you conformed to this world? Why have you let the cares of this life cause you to fall asleep in your waiting for the coming of Jesus? Now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And you know, none of us has a guarantee that we'll be here tomorrow. So if we're living with the mentality, we'll all get ready when I feel like it, your eternity could come later today or tomorrow. I was just talking to, to Brother Kevin about a seven-year-old girl that passed to her rest just in the last week here, here in Bermuda. I mean, seven years old. You never know. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. And notice what Paul says next, starting in verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The works of darkness have no place in the church of God, brothers and sisters. When we come to a church board meeting, we should not have the spirit of the devil when we interact with each other, should we? It is now time to put off the works of darkness. 
Let us put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Now notice verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. There's a lot in this passage. First of all, we see that Paul is speaking to a group of people that know the time, who know that Jesus is coming soon. So certainly we can make an application that this message is relevant to Adventists who believe that Jesus is coming in the clouds of heaven. Even if the primary application was to the church at Rome, the the application to God's last day people who know the time prophetically, certainly that message applies to us. Certainly our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Certainly the night is far spent. You just had a, a series on the sanctuary. Jesus entered into the most holy place on October 22, 1844. We are 168 years past that. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. And I already talked about that. Verse 13, let us walk honestly, but the marginal reading for the word honestly actually means decently, as in the day. Now, you know what this means, right? Walking decently as in the day. Typically speaking, well, at least back in Paul's day, maybe in our day and age, and unfortunately actually in, in the city of San Francisco right now, they're actually having to make a law that will ban public nudity in the daytime. Have mercy. Why do you need a law to tell people how to dress in the day? But what Paul is saying is ordinarily most common sense thinking people will clothe themselves appropriately during the daytime, although as I've gotten older, that's become less so. And at least when we come to church, I praise God that people are clothed appropriately. But what Paul is saying, let us walk decently as in the day. In other words, let us live our lives the way people with common sense dress during the day. Because at nighttime, you know what the, the ladies of the night do and how they dress. That's not how we should live our lives. And this is a spiritual application. We do not be, want to, to walk around as in the day as if we are like the ladies of the night. That's what Paul is saying here. Let us walk decently as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Now, I don't think rioting and drunkenness literally speaking, as a problem in God's church. But think about how you could apply that spiritually. But notice this next point. I wanted to spend a moment on this. Not in chambering and wantonness. Now, what does it mean to, to as the, the King James language says, not in chambering? What's Paul talking about? Well, I looked the word up. <clears throat> To chamber it back in his day was, or a chamber was a place to lay down on, or to lie down on, like a couch. And here's what Paul is saying: Listen, God's people, don't you think it's high time to wake up? You may not be like those who are rioting and and who are drunk, but you're you could just be like those people who all they do all the time is lay around on the couch and watch TV all the time. They don't get out. They don't go out to help people. They don't go knock on doors. They don't give Bible studies. They're not trying to reach the lost. They're just sitting around like couch potatoes, as we call them in America. Maybe you call them that here as well. They're like couch potatoes sitting around, living the good life, just kind of sleeping life away, and maybe one of these days Jesus will come. And Paul is saying, hey, it is high time. Wake up. Get off the couch. Why are you laying around when you should know the time that it is high time for Jesus to come in the clouds of heaven? 
Why are you conforming yourself to the world so that the things that you gain the most enjoyment of in this life is not thinking about heavenly things and of Jesus' kingdom that is soon to come, but it's about your favorite TV programs, your favorite sports team, your favorite music, and all of these things that really aren't helping you to be prepared for Jesus to come. Get off the couch. Wake up. Now, when we think about sleeping, what's the main reason that we fall asleep? Because you're tired. And when you fall asleep, when you've been tired, and, I, and I'll say this, my wife and daughter and I were very grateful to go to sleep last night. We got up very early yesterday to travel here, and we're glad that we made it, but we were tired last night. And when you lay down in the bed to go to sleep, it feels good. It is so nice to lay down and just relax and go to sleep. It feels good. And when someone comes and tries to wake you up, your natural tendency is to want to stay in the bed, is it not? Oh, I want to sleep a few minutes longer. My, my wife could affirm that about me. I want to just sleep a little bit longer. It feels so good. I'm enjoying this so much. And unfortunately, somehow, God's last day church is being exhorted to wake up from a condition where we just feel like, oh, this feels so good. I'm not really doing a whole lot, but I come to church, so that's okay. And maybe Jesus will come someday, and maybe one of these days I'll start doing more for the Lord. And yet Paul is saying, it is high time. Wake up. Why are you conformed to this world? We as God's people should be offering ourselves as living sacrifices with holy lives, being transformed so that when the world sees us, they say those people have been connected to God. They are in touch with Jesus and I want what they have. They are on fire for the Lord. It is high time to wake up out of our sleep. And I like verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's a key point. If you're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, that means you're taking on his righteousness. Amen? Yes. This is talking about righteousness by faith. You are taking on the garment of Christ's righteousness. Now here's the key connection. To take on the garment of Christ's righteousness means that you need to wake up. You can't be sleeping away and experience his, his righteousness. There we go. I think the devil didn't want that point to be made, so let's try it again. The scripture says, and put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ in the same thought with waking up out of sleep. So in other words, to take on the righteousness of Christ is to wake up out of a spiritual sleep that we've been in. We need Jesus. We need to take on his righteousness. We need to take on his life to wake up from our spiritual condition of sleeping so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then the last half of verse 14, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Listen, if you put Jesus Christ on, if you take on his righteousness, scripture is teaching us that we're not going to be making provision to plan on sinning every once in a while when we feel like it. Let me give you an example. There was a boy named Johnny who would walk from school or from his house to his school every day and there was a pond on the way to school. And he liked to go swimming in that pool. The problem is his mother told Johnny, Johnny, you can't swim in the pool. You're going to mess up your school clothes and then I'll have to wash them. Please don't go swimming in the pond. 
You cannot do that without your parents being with you. You might drown. We don't want you swimming by yourself. So you know what Johnny did? He packed his swimming trunks in his backpack. And one day, when he walked by the pond, he said, oh, that water looks so good. I think I'll go in today. And he changed into his swimming trunks, and he went swimming by himself. And his mother found out, and she said, Johnny, why did you pack your swimming trunks in your backpack when I told you not to swim in the first place? And you know what Johnny's response was? Well, I packed the swimming trunks in case I was tempted. And you know what? We as God's people do that too often. You know the weaknesses that the devil gets you in. You know what your specific weakness is, what your specific sin is. It may be a certain television program that goes the wrong direction and causes you to take your mind where you know you never should have taken it. Or it may be certain internet sites that take you to places you know you never should go. And yet too many times we're like Johnny. We're like, well, sometimes when I go to those places, nothing bad happens. But in case I'm tempted, it does feel pretty good. So I'll just go there every so often and I'll see what happens. And yet Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when we wake up, when we realize that it is high time to wake up out of sleep, we will put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not going to be making provision in case we're tempted so that we can have a good time sinning. You see what the Bible's saying there? So what we've seen so far, Paul is saying, I beseech you, I plead with you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, to be holy, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And because you know the time, that it is high time to wake up from your sleep, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take on his righteousness and stop living your life where you're making provision to fall into temptation. Don't even go there. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll take you a different way. Now, is there another place in scripture that talks about a group of people who are preparing for the coming of, of the Lord who are sleeping? And actually, very clearly, in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the ten virgins. And we're going to look at that right now. Matthew chapter 25. And let's look at these verses, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven... Be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, this is pretty straightforward. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins, and a virgin represents a pure woman, and a woman represents the church. This represents a pure church, and they have lamps. What are lamps? Scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So these people, this church, this pure church has the truth of the word of God and they are going forth to meet the bridegroom. Specifically, they are expecting Jesus to come back based on the teaching of the word of God. So you have a pure church based on their knowledge of Scripture who knows that Jesus is coming back and they are planning on going to meet him when he comes. And then in verse 2, five of them were wise and five were foolish. So you have five wise virgins, five foolish virgins who are waiting for Jesus to come, who are going forth to meet him. And notice all ten have the lamps. All ten have the word of God. All ten are described as virgins, but only five are wise and five are foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. And what does oil represent in the scripture? It's 
It's the Holy Spirit, and we base that on Zechariah chapter 4. So here you have five foolish virgins without the Holy Spirit. They have the Word of God, but they don't have the Holy Spirit to light their lamps so that when they share the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God shines forth through their lives. Have you met people who can preach the truth, but they don't have the love of Jesus? That's what it's talking about. You have the truth of the word of God, but you haven't been changed by it. You don't represent Jesus to others. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And this is the amazing thing in verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Now notice this. You have five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. And if I had never read this passage before, what I would expect is that if you told me, hey, some of the virgins are going to fall asleep, I would say, oh, yeah, the foolish ones. But actually, all ten virgins fell asleep. And who is this church representing? It's a pure church who has the word of God, who is expecting Jesus to come back in the clouds of heaven. Brothers and sisters, this can be none other than God's last day church, a pure church who is proclaiming the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven based on the word of God. And yet Jesus, in his own words, describing God's last day people, says they all fell asleep. So when you read this verse, don't say, well, yeah, I know brother or sister so-and-so is sound asleep. I mean, look at how they're living. I'm just so thankful that I'm not like them. Listen, the Bible says all of us are sleeping. And let me make this real to you. We all say, oh, yes, Jesus is coming soon. I believe it. Yes, Jesus is coming soon. Because as a Seventh-day Adventist, if you don't say anything else, well, you're going to look like a bad Adventist. But in your heart of hearts, let's just paint a scenario here. And by the way, I am not time setting. I am not predicting anything. I am just saying, let's portray a scenario here. Let's just say that when we wake up tomorrow morning or Monday morning, the world headlines say, 10.0 earthquake hits Los Angeles, tsunami destroys half the city. And then the next day, the Pope and President Obama and the leaders of Christian America say, we've got to come together to solve this crisis. And all of a sudden, the, the people of the United States are making a public outcry saying, we've got to get back to God. We need to have a day of rest. And we see before our very eyes what we've been told of what told would happen in Revelation 13 and in the book Great Controversy. And we're like, oh my, wow, it's really happening. Now seriously, if this happened next week, how many of you really would have been said, oh yeah, I knew that was coming this week? Uh-uh. No way. And you know why I know that? because of the way we are living our lives. We are living our lives, doing our jobs, going to work, going through our routines, as if Jesus is tarrying and we've fallen asleep and we're not sure when he's going to come. And there's going to be an awakening that is going to come that is going to wake this church up, that's going to shake this church up, and some of us are going to be ready for that time and some of us are not going to be ready. And the difference is based on those who have the oil. And those who have the oil will hear the cry of Romans 13, 11, where it says, knowing the time that it is high time to wake up out of sleep. Because all of us are sleeping. We can't say that we're fully awake and alert as if Jesus is coming in the clouds, we're all sort of sleeping along, waiting until whatever happens is going to happen. But, you know, that's not, that's not a good thing. That's why we have weeks of revival, to become spiritually awakened so that we can realize, listen, this is serious. Jesus may come out of, out of the most holy place and close probation sooner than we may have realized. And if we haven't ordered our lives in accordance with the scriptures, now more than ever is the time. Now notice, something specifically wakes up God's church. And it's found in verse 6. Because 
you know, we can talk about, okay, what's going to happen and how are we going to wake up? Well, let the Bible just speak for itself. What is it that wakes up God's last day church? What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? These are the words of Jesus, by the way. What does Jesus say is going to wake up his last day church? Verse 6, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. A day is coming when the message is going to sound where it is so loud that everyone will wake up. It's not going to be a little week of revival here or there that a few people hear about. This is going to be a message that stirs the world. This is none other than Revelation 18.1 where an angel comes down from heaven having great power and the earth is lightened with his glory. And when that message comes, this is the loud cry of the third angel under the power of the latter rain. That is going to wake up God's sleeping church. But here's the point. Who is the latter rain poured out upon? And what is the latter rain representative of? The Holy Spirit. The latter rain is poured out upon those who have the oil of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Listen, if you are living a spiritless life, and the only spirit that really shows up most of the time is the wrong spirit, don't think that when the midnight cry, or actually what we call the loud cry at the end, comes forth, that all of a sudden your mean-spirited, evil-tempered nature is all of a sudden going to change, and you're going to go from being a, a mean devil to your spouse to being a loving spouse. That's not going to happen. God is not going to take a group of Adventists that are mean, grumpy, mean-spirited, backbiting, and you name it, and suddenly give them the latter rain, and they'll go out and warn the world that Jesus is coming. No, no, no. When the latter rain is poured out, that message that will wake up a sleeping church, the people who will go forth to meet the bridegroom are those who have the oil in their lamps, the oil of the Holy Spirit. They had been transformed by the renewing of their minds so that even while they are waiting for a tarrying bridegroom, they are demonstrating the power of the Spirit in their lives today. We have been transformed already. So listen, if we want to be ready for the midnight cry in the parable, if we want to be ready for the loud cry of Revelation 18, the way to be ready is to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives today to be a living sacrifice to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that when people say us, see us, they say, Jesus was crucified on the cross and they are crucified with Christ. They are living sacrifices. And when, and, and what we're talking about, that's the early rain experience of, of receiving the, the spirit on a daily basis, of surrendering your life to God every day of the week, so that when the latter rain comes, you have that oil in your lamp to go along with the word of God. Now, I want to read a few <coughs> statements from Sister White. This is Review and Herald, August 19, 1890. And she has some very important things to say about the parable of the bridegroom. Notice what she says. This is starting in paragraph 3 of Review and Herald, August 19, 1890. When the third angel's message is preached as it should be, power attends its proclamation and it becomes an abiding influence. We're not talking about theory here. We're talking about the preaching of the message that becomes an abiding influence as far as our practical lives are concerned. It must be attended with divine power or it will accomplish nothing. Now notice this. I am often referred to the parable of the ten virgins, five of whom were wise and five foolish. This parable has been 
and will be fulfilled to the very letter, for it has a special application to this time, and like the third angel's message, has been fulfilled and will continue to be present truth till the close of time. Now notice this statement here. It has been and will be fulfilled to the very letter. Do you know what she's talking about here? How many of you have heard of the Millerite movement? All right. The Millerite movement, if you were a Seventh-day Adventist, become familiar with the Millerite movement. And the best place to go initially would be the book Great Controversy. You read about it in the book Great Controversy. But there's other great sources that talk about it. There's a book by F.D. Nickel called The Midnight Cry. There's some other books that are powerful talking about the Millerite movement. The Millerite movement was the other fulfillment of the parable of the bridegroom. How do I know this? Because it represented a pure church that preached the coming of Jesus. They went forth to meet Jesus. They thought he was coming on October 22 and then well, initially they thought he was coming in 1843. He didn't come, so they entered into a tarrying waiting time. And then they came to the understanding that, wait, according to our understanding of prophecy, the 2300 days will be fulfilled on October 22. They came to that understanding just two months before October 22. Do you realize that? So two months before October 22, all of a sudden, the Millerites are saying, wow, Jesus is coming in two months. We need to get ready to meet him. And that's known as the midnight cry phase of the Millerite movement. And inspiration tells us, and you can just read the historical accounts, that the midnight cry phase of the Millerite movement hit America like a tornado. It swept across the land. People got their lives in order. Wrongs were righted. Debts were paid off. And by the way, if you hear preachers out there saying, Jesus is coming soon, don't worry about it. Just mortgage your house, go deep into debt, and put all your money into the Lord's work. That's not how the Millerites lived. They paid their debts off before Jesus came. But those people, if Jesus had come, there was a group of those Millerites who if Jesus really had come on October 22, they would have been ready. And of course, we see who the faithful were when the disappointment came. So that's when the parable was fulfilled to the very letter at that point. You had a pure church, five, five were wise, five were foolish. The midnight cry was given. And then you saw who were the wise, who were the foolish. And then we entered into the the Seventh-day Adventist movement with a fuller understanding of our message. And Ellen White is saying that that parable, although it has been fulfilled to the very letter, it will be again. And when it's fulfilled again, the midnight cry will be the loud cry of Revelation 18. Now, I'm just going to read a few other statements from this article. This is skipping on down to paragraph 8. In the parable of the virgins, five are represented as wise and five as foolish. The name foolish virgins represents the character, notice this, the character of those who have not the genuine heart work wrought by the Spirit of God. In other words, they are not converted. The coming of Christ does not change the foolish virgins into wise ones. When Christ comes, the balances of heaven will weigh the character and decide whether it is pure, sanctified, and holy, or whether it is unclean and unfit for the kingdom of heaven. Those who have despised the divine grace that is at their command that would have qualified them to be the inhabitants of heaven will be the foolish virgins. And then she goes on, and this is paragraph 11. Half-hearted Christians obscure the glory of God, misinterpret piety, and cause men to receive false ideas as to what constitutes vital godliness. Notice this. Others think that they also can be Christians and yet consult their own tastes and make provision for the flesh. We read that in Romans 13, did we not? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, don't make provision for the flesh. Yet half-hearted Christians, foolish virgins, are teaching the world that, hey, you can be a Christian. You can be a Seventh-day Adventist waiting for Jesus to come and do whatever you want and ha live however you please and still be ready for Jesus to come. She goes on to say, um, if, so let me read this again. Others think that they also can be Christians and yet consult their own taste and make provision for the flesh if these false-hearted professors can do so. 
On many a professed Christian's banner, the motto is written, you can serve God and please self. You can serve God and mammon. They profess to be wise virgins, but not having the oil, grace in their vessels with their lamps, they shed forth no light to the glory of God and for the salvation of men. The foolish virgins, who are they? They are those who profess to be Christians, yet have come to a way of living that they know what the truth is, but they believe that they can follow their own desires and inclinations whenever they feel like it. And so they make provision for the flesh to do whatever they want, which means they have not put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are ready when Jesus comes have on Jesus. They have his righteousness. Those who have not put on Jesus, they are the foolish virgins. And this is one last statement from Ellen White. This is Christ's Object Lessons 411 which is a very fascinating statement. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock, Christ Jesus, and permitted their old nature to be broken up. The foolish virgins, they love the truths of the Adventist message. They love to hear that Jesus is coming soon. They like to be around people who preach about the coming of Jesus. But at the end of the day, they have not yielded their lives to Jesus Christ. They have not fallen upon the rock Christ Jesus. They have not made themselves a living sacrifice. And you know what we're going to be talking about all week is becoming a living sacrifice. We're going to see this evening the condition of the Laodicean church, which connects to the foolish virgins. But then we're going to go step by step and see, you know what? This is a clearly plausible way of life for God's last day people because there are people all through the history of Scripture who have lived this way. Abraham, Elijah, Jesus, and then after that, the reformers. And then the scripture talks about a group of people living at the end of time who are going to wake up out of their sleep and who will be a demonstration to the world of what it means to be a living sacrifice. In a nutshell, I've just told you where we're going for the whole week. And you'll want to be here because if you want to be part of that special group of people, the wise virgins who when the latter rain of the Holy Spirit is poured out and the cry is made, the bridegroom is coming, Jesus is coming, he is coming in the clouds for his saints. The thing that we want at that moment in our lives is to be among those who are ready when Jesus comes, who will be among those who partake in the proclamation of the loud cry of Revelation 18. What a tragedy it would be for that loud cry to come down and for us to wake up out of our sleep and to realize, oh no, I'm not ready. I haven't given my heart and life to Jesus Christ every day. But you know what? There is hope for us today. Because you may be saying in your heart and mind, I'm like that foolish virgin. I'm just coming to church because I do it out of routine, but in my heart I have all this bitterness towards my brother or sister in this church. I'm angry at the world. Things aren't going well in my life. I'm snapping at my spouse all the time. I'm not demonstrating the love of Jesus to anyone around me. I need help. I need Jesus. And you know what? Being here today is just where God wants you to be. There is hope for you. Because scripture says that through the power and the grace of Jesus, he can make all things new. That through his grace and through his power, that we can become transformed. That we can have renewed minds. That we can have the mind of Christ and be a demonstration of the love of God to the world. So that when the midnight cry of the parable is sounded, and when we all wake up out of this waiting time, we will be among those who are ready. And you know, God needs more people who have a sense of urgency. He needs us really, we need to wake up now. 
Don't wait for the loud cry to say, oh, wake up then. No, wake up now. Do everything in your life now to give the message a certain sound to wake up a sleeping church all around us so that when Jesus comes, we will be among those who are giving the message a certain sound. Let me read you that statement again from Review and Herald, August 19, 1890. When the third angel's message is preached as it should be, power attends its proclamation and it becomes an abiding influence. Listen, this church here, we want to be on the island of Bermuda, the church uh, with all the other churches where we give the message with such power that people all around us say, this is the message. This is what we need. This is what we want. We want to be part of a church that is giving the message to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. So by the grace of God, we will be living sacrifices, crucified with Christ, living lives that are wholly acceptable to God through his power, which is our reasonable service. We will not be conformed to this world like the foolish virgins, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, having the mind of Christ, so that we will live out the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How many of you want to say today, by the grace of God, I will surrender my life to Jesus Christ and be a living sacrifice? If that is your desire, I would invite you to stand with me as we have a special prayer of consecration for this message that we have just had. Let's, let's stand, those who want to be a living sacrifice, and say, my life will be holy, acceptable unto God, that I will live a life that is a reasonable service. Let, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that in Scripture you give us hope that even if we may be sleeping you are constantly knocking on the door of our hearts to wake us up out of our sleep so that we will give the trumpet a certain sound that we will put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will be a demonstration of his righteousness to the world so that when the latter rain is poured out, we will be among those who receive that extra power of the Holy Spirit to go forth to the world to give a message that will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And Lord, I pray for each one of us who is standing today. You know that we want to be among the wise virgins. Forgive us for so often living a life that is more like a foolish virgin. Help us to wake up from that condition and to give our lives fully and completely to you so that we will represent you, that we will have the truths of your word and the power of your spirit that will represent your life. And be with us through the remainder of this week of prayer as we are just getting started. May this week of prayer, this week of revival, really awaken in each one of us the power of your spirit so that we will go out to the neighborhoods around us and be demonstrations of your power on this island. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.